Hello and welcome to another episode of 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. This is Councilman Brandon Cohn. We're recording the first show of 2020. It is Wednesday, January the 8th, and I'm really pleased to be joined this morning by one of my good friends and colleagues on the Metro Council, uh, Councilman Bill Hollander, who represents the 9th District, who chairs the Council's Budget Committee, sort of two big broad topics we'll be talking about today, as well as some other things. And uh, it's taken a couple of years, but I'm thrilled to have him on the show. Bill, Happy New Year. Welcome. Thanks for being on the show. Happy to be here. All right. Um, you've, this is the beginning of your sixth or seventh year on the council? Uh, sixth. The beginning of your sixth year on the council. And I'm sure anyone that listens to the show obviously cares enough about these kinds of matters that they read the newspaper and stay up with current affairs, so I'm sure they know a little bit about you because you've been a very active leader in the Metro Council, you're an active legislator, you're a vocal leader on, you know, what I'll call political with a little p issues. Um, You've obviously been a leader in the budget process for a number of years now, but for people who might not know you other than Councilman Bill Hollander, can you just give us a, you know, a minute about uh, you know, who you are and how you got here and, and sort of what you've been doing since you were first selected in 2014? Uh, sure. I'm, uh, I'm originally from Tell City, Indiana, and uh, I went away to college, uh, came back to the area. Eventually, I was in media, radio, TV, eventually went to law school and then uh, moved to Louisville in 1984 and knew absolutely no one in the community. Uh, and that's literally true. I was recruited by a law firm uh, I knew the people who recruited me, but I didn't even know anybody at the law firm. Um, and so we um, uh, moved to Belgravia Court uh, and lived in an apartment there for a couple of years. My wife and I then got married and bought a house in Crescent Hill, and I've lived in the same house since 1986. Um, got very involved in my neighborhood association uh, pretty uh, immediately and, and really came up through neighborhood work. Um, and then uh, continued to work at the law firm. Eventually, was a managing partner of the law firm. Uh, decided uh, in 2013 uh, that I really wanted to do uh, something else with the rest of my life. Did not know what that would be. I hoped it would be a little more civic-minded. Uh, and uh, a couple of weeks before I was stepping down as managing partner and retiring from the firm, uh, Tina Warpew decided that she wasn't going to run for re-election, and so I threw my hat into the ring along with 12 other Democrats and one Republican mm-hmm. and was elected in 2014. All right. Um, and, you, you know, you went away to college. You went to Harvard College. We'll just throw that out there. And uh, your law firm was Wyatt, and you Sorry. practiced for almost 30 years. Intellectual property was your sort of area of law. Trademark right? and copyright work mainly. So okay. my, my clients... Uh, mostly trademark work, really. Uh, I did some trade su- secret work, but I had uh, uh, clients who manufactured a variety of products. I had clients uh, across the state, um, and it was really very interesting work, yeah. uh, a lot of fun. And also, when you say you worked in media, you were a journalist. You were a, a radio and TV journalist, and uh, you know I, I think that's got to be helpful for the role that you take on today and understanding how that works and being a good communicator. Well, I, I, it's... Uh, I'm a believer in doing a variety of things over the course of your life. Same. Uh, that's worked well for me, uh, I think, at least. And, I, you know, I also think um, 
you know, it's just uh, it makes life more enjoyable when you're doing different things. I like to have new and different challenges. And obviously media, then law, then managing law, which was really quite different than practicing. Right. Uh, and then uh, what we're doing now. Yeah. Well, taken as a whole, you're eminently qualified to be doing the job you're doing. And I, I for one, think you've done a wonderful job in office. And, and I know your constituents agree since you were uh, reelected with no opposition a couple of years ago. Uh, in any case, so it's it's 2020. People are just sort of shaking off the vacation that we all enjoyed over the last couple of weeks of December and getting back to work. The Metro Council is, we're having our first meeting of the year tomorrow. It's Thursday the 9th. Uh, and we'll get back into our ordinary ordinary course of business. But I expect, and I'm sure you agree, that although the mayor will not deliver his budget address for a few months now, Frankfurt is back in session, and almost immediately, once our entire council as a whole gets together, we have to start thinking and talking about the budget. Uh, am I right? And um, if so, can you remind people why that is such a pressing and uh, overwhelming policy issue for the council in the city in 2020, in the year 2020? It's really driven by the pension situation in Frankfurt. And so in uh, 2016, I think, maybe 17, there was a change in assumptions uh, by the Kentucky Retirement Systems Board, um, which created a much larger hole for the uh, county employees' retirement system, CERS, which is what the city is in. Um, and in order to fill that hole, uh, the required contribution by cities and counties across the state uh, went up dramatically. So when, when, uh, when I first started in 2015, I remember asking the question, what do we pay in pension costs? And we were paying a a pretty steady $76 million a year. Really was floating around that number, went up a little bit, some down some, but it was right there at, at $76 million for a long time. Uh, once these assumptions were changed, uh, we jumped to $86 million. We are at $100 million this year. We're likely to go to $114 million. We don't know exactly what those numbers are, um, but it, the, the rate on the path we're on will rise uh, by 12% a year. So it's not just 12%, it's also, that's the rate that you pay on, on salaries. So as, as the workforce goes down, that goes down a little bit. On the other hand, as salaries go up, and they do because of collective bargaining agreements and other raises, uh, that goes up. So this year jumped by $14 million. I think we can anticipate something similar to that next year, and the year after that, and the year after that, and probably the year after that. So fourteen um, so million for another three or four years. That's at well, least. probably three. Probably three probably three. Uh, and then we hope that will level off. But that's a continuing amount. So when it goes up, when I say we're paying a hundred million this year, uh, and you know that we just add on to that every year. So it goes to one hundred fourteen, and then and and on up. And eventually, I guess maybe one hundred and forty-two. If you, I mean, that's we're right. just sort of estimating. That's right. But that's right. The difference between when you took office just four or five short years ago, 76 million, 76 million, 76 million. We're now looking at almost twice that, 142 million, 142 million. That's right. Million. That's right. So, so we, and we're talking about a $650 million of general fund budget. So we're talking about taking 76 million of that and spending it for pensions. And obviously the budget goes up some where revenue is growing. That's good. Uh, we hope it continues to grow. Um, but it's not growing at the pace that allows you to make those additional 
uh, contributions and continue to do everything that you were you were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, we're we are in a reduction budget mode now. You ask about the the FY twenty one budget. Uh, I think we will be in a reduction um, mode again. I think the the uh, impact will um, not be as dramatic this year as it was last year, in part because some of the cuts that we made last year will um, they'll obviously continue. Uh, some of them will kick in at a greater amount. For example, uh, we made the decision as a council to close the youth detention uh, center uh, and transfer those uh, responsibilities to the state. Um, and we can talk about whether that was a good decision or a bad decision. And I, and I would have not, preferred not it, to do right, that. And whether but, or not you the, or I voted on it, the fact is the council as a whole decides. That's and right. Sometimes that's not what we want individually. Well, that's right. And, and I think we, you know, we're forced to make some tough decisions. Um, but that will kick in at a bigger amount. So we funded that for half a year. Uh, YDS and and uh, and that ended uh, uh, January first. We're contributing some to the state um, to transition, but that that will be a, a bigger financial savings, if you will, for the city in FY twenty one than twenty. So some of those things will have um, some effect in in making the cuts that we have to make next year, perhaps a little less, but. I think it's really important that people understand that even if that's true, uh, no one should take the view that, well, we're out of this now. It's really not a problem because next year it goes up again. Right. And the year after that and the year after that. Right. And I think last year also there was some uh, budget deficit due to health care costs, right? Was that? Our health care costs, well, actually the year before, health care costs uh, rose and uh, we that pretty much stabilized. Uh, and yeah, I don't know the outlook for FY21 on health care costs. We did, we did a couple of things. Uh, I mean, one, our, we're self-insured. So uh, in any self-insured plan, your, your history, you know, what actually happens with your employees in terms of costs affects, uh, affects what, um, what you're paying for health care. We also raised the premiums for, for all Metro employees. employees. So there was some... Con- you know, I think some confusion among the public about originally back around this time last year, we were talking about $35 million in cuts, and then it ended up being $25 million in cuts. Well, part of that is because we made that up by increasing health care costs to all of our employees mm-hmm. um, by increasing some other kinds of fees. Um, but, you know, everything goes up. I mean, it's if you think about your own household or your own business, uh, your costs rise every year, and, right. and we're no different. Uh, you know, all of our costs go up, and and um, you know we just don't have enough revenue to do um, everything that we have done in the past. Uh, I don't think we have enough revenue to do what uh, our constituents are demanding that we do, mm-hmm. um, including concerns over some basic city services, public safety, sanitation, much that. less some you know really kind of transformative investments that seem really beyond arm's reach. That's right. And I, and I think the other thing that, that's important to, to understand is, um, you know, we, we are, we're on a situation where um, for any kind of real investment in the community, we are borrowing money. Right. So we have essentially no money to put into capital projects out of our general fund. 
Right. We're basically financing all of our capital improvements, including road paving. Right. That's correct. Basic things through debt. That's exactly right. And that we should not be doing that. Right. Um, So if we had more revenue, one of the things I would like to do with it is spend some of it on capital projects. I think Mm -hmm. that's the responsible thing to move toward. But that's very difficult to do when you're uh, when you're in the kind of situation that we're that we're in. So we'll look we'll look forward, but just as a sort of a reminder, not, you know, people remember last year. They remember the 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 debate and the uh, community conversation, although it, it felt kind of rushed to people and sort of urgent. But people, you know, obviously paid attention. They came out of the woodwork. They advocated for the things that they cared about. Everything from YDS to the libraries and and every kind of amenity and service that you know every stakeholder has an interest in. Uh, and I expect that we'll see that again this year. Uh, at the end of the of the day, we ended up making cuts approximating, was it $25 million or yes. something? Okay, $25 million yes. worth of cuts uh, last year. And that was not offset in any way by any new revenue. We voted down, the council voted down uh, a raise in the insurance premium tax. Again, that's something that I, I personally advocated for and voted yes. I think you did the same, but the council voted not to. Um so as we're looking forward to the FY21 budget, you sort of hinted that you expected there to be more cuts. Um, we don't know the numbers yet in terms of our new revenue and how that stacks up against our new uh, rising pension obligations. Um, but in order to pass a balanced budget, which we're required to by law, uh, we're going to have to look at those numbers and make it work again. So before we talk about cuts or restoration of services or any of that kind of stuff, I want to ask about the revenue picture. Again, last year we we, we um, deliberated on the insurance premium tax, and I'll let you explain to people why we talked about that and not some other taxes, because I know a lot of people don't know what kind of tax local taxing authority we have or don't have. Um, that's something that we might revisit again this year, but also... The session has started in Frankfurt, and I know there's some hope and certainly some work being done, a lot of communication between the city of Louisville and other cities in the state in terms of some potential new local revenue generation empowerment. The state has to grant us some more some more ability. People have read around about a restaurant tax, perhaps, or something else. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of what's going on in Frankfurt and what that might or might not yield for us? It might, it might yield nothing. Uh, and then also, you know, what other else? What else we can look at locally in terms of the revenue side, generating new revenue? For cities uh, like Louisville, we have uh, uh, very few revenue options, and we can only um, get revenue from sources that the state legislature tells us we can get revenue from. Uh, some of that is limited by the Kentucky Constitution. Some of it are is limited by the legislature and can be fixed um, by the General Assembly. So we, we have a property tax, um, but increases uh, in the property tax, which would raise more than um, 4% additional money per year, are subject to recall by the mm-hmm. voters, uh, which is a, a precarious situation to be in when you're using that for operating expenses. So you pass a budget that, that calls for more than a 4% increase, but it can be recalled, and you've, you know, it's it's it's, it's hard to do. And for and a four percent um, increase really doesn't raise very much new money. I it, think. Doesn't. It, it, it doesn't. It uh, doesn't. The insurance premium tax is a tax that uh, cities and counties uh, across the state have. In fact, um, the the average uh, insurance premium is higher 
insurance premium tax is higher in other counties and cities than it is in in Louisville. Uh, we have a five percent uh, tax. Oldham County has ten. Um, and that can be changed by the council. It's um, without a recall. It's uh, it's easily collectible. We mm -hmm. already collect it. It's remitted by the insurance companies. Um, and that's uh, the reason that we uh, pursued that avenue last year. People didn't like that. It didn't pass, uh, I think, for a variety of reasons. But, but that's an option. There's a timing issue with the insurance premium tax. You have to tell the state uh, and the insurance companies what your um, tax rate is going to be for the year starting July 1st, um, 100 days in advance, which turns out to be late March. So, so we will well have well after the session wraps, though. Right? Not this year. Oh no, not so. This is a longer session, so the session likely will not wrap by the time uh, that we have to make that decision, okay. and that's a real timing uh, problem. Very. If but, people are if people are convinced that we need more revenue, uh, but are hoping for relief from Frankfurt, um, you know, the General Assembly tends to do a lot of their work at the very end of the session. Uh, and so, uh, you know, one of the things we've been talking about in discussions with Frankfurt is c can we have some decision on some of these other options, which I'll talk about in a minute, um, sooner rather than later so that we can really decide where we're going with other kind of options. Um, but we also have, and I'll just mention this briefly, uh, it, it, people have franchise fees in other uh, communities, and that's a fee where you would have a, a fee on your gas bill or your electric bill, um, and that's done widely in other um, cities. We can't do that in Louisville because of some very old franchise issues involving electricity and LG&E. Uh, we did have, for a time, a, a gas franchise fee, which we let expire, um, and it really, we, we're constrained, I think, in, in Louisville um, by the fact that we have this government with, with uh, over 80 suburban cities also. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, if one of the problems in the, in the franchise fee that was enacted before I was in office, um, it, I think it was enacted in 2014 uh, and lasted for 18 months, uh, it did not apply in any of the suburban cities. Mm -hmm. So I remember very well, uh, very very clearly knocking on a door as I was campaigning uh, along Lexington Road, and the gentleman told me that, how fair do you think it is that I pay that fee, and the fellow right next door to me, there isn't even a street in between his house and his neighbor, uh, was in St. Matthew's, and he didn't pay that fee. Right. Um, and so that it makes it much more difficult, and I think there's an unfairness component to that. It makes it much more difficult for us to have a, a franchise fee. So um, what people have looked at is, well, what do other cities and counties around the state do? And, and one of the things that they do is a restaurant tax. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have talked to Frankfurt. Uh, the Kentucky League of Cities has talked to Frankfurt. Um, I say Frankfurt, I mean the General Assembly, about equalizing cities and counties around the state so that not, it's not just selected cities and counties based on their former class uh, that can have a restaurant tax if they so choose. Uh, it's every city and county. Um, and that's a, a real push that's being made by the Kentucky League of Cities. 
um, you know, we'll see where that goes. We, right. we are having, as you know, um, and I'm pleased about this, I think we're having more discussions with uh, members of the General Assembly um, as a council uh, than we have had in the past. And, and uh, if we're going to have that option, um, we will need help from the General Assembly to do it. And like every option, there's people that are for that, that are against that, people with different interests. There's pros, there's cons. Obviously, it's a new source of revenue. One of the things that people say that it, why it's a good idea is because you're charging people that are from out of town that are eating in restaurants. Not all of the tax burden comes on local residents. And then, you know, a flip side argument as well, you know, that makes it very difficult on restaurants. And, and that's a very important part of our economy. And, you know, so um, it's certainly not, I think, at least for me personally speaking, as a as a someone who's going to have to decide on this potentially, not a clear cut slam dunk makes a lot of sense issue. There's there's will be a robust conversation about it with a lot of people with different opinions. And, and what is but Absolutely. And, and all we're asking for is the option. Right, right. Uh, give us more local control. I mean, I, I think that one way to look at what's happened with the pension is we've been handed um, a very big bill from Frankfurt, and our hands are tied behind our back as to how we pay that bill. Right. We're just asking to, to untie our hands uh, and give us more options to, to decide locally uh, how we think we should proceed. And so at, from whatever projections you know at this point, they may be high level. If, if uh, Louisville-Jefferson County had a restaurant tax at the same rate and the same sort of rules as what exists in other places, what's the projected annual revenue? 3% tax would be 30 to $40 million. Okay. It's a and, lot of money. And then and in, in other communities, much of that is split um, with, uh, in some cases it goes exclusively to the um, Convention and Visitors Bureau. Right. I, I, I don't think our Convention and Visitors Bureau of Louisville Tourism thinks that they need that money. They get I mean, plenty, in fact they doing get very plenty well. of revenue from other sources. And they're doing very well with hotel, um, uh, transient room taxes, hotel, Airbnb, um, taxes. Uh, and, the, you know, that's another um, uh, possibility. I mean, I, you got these same calls that I did uh, during the insurance premium tax debate. Why don't you have a restaurant tax? I remember being in my office one night late, and I had to disappoint a man who said, uh, you know, I've got the answer for you. If you go down to Shepherdsville, they put a little tax on your meal. And I said, I'm sorry, but we have thought about that. We can't do that. Mm -hmm. We can do that in Elizabethtown, too. Um, and they've used that money in Elizabethtown very well to build some facilities that are attracting people. And I think many restaurants there would tell you they're doing well because of the people coming into the community. Um, but, you know, it, people also said, well, why don't you have another hotel tax? We do obviously have a hotel tax. None of that revenue goes to the general fund. Right. So it does not really pave our streets. Really important for people to understand. It does not pave our streets, does not hire police officers. And, and this is an interesting debate. Uh, I'm seeing the same thing in Nashville. It was a big issue in a mayoral campaign that went on last year in Nashville, um, where the tourism is is booming there as well. And there was a lot of discussion about, you know, we like tourism, but shouldn't the people who live here benefit a little bit more directly from the revenue that tourism brings in? Right. And that's really the same sort of thing we're talking about here. Yep. We don't have the option of doing that here. We, we, we don't have the option of, of having an additional hotel tax, having a restaurant tax at all. 
that would help us with the city services, which of course support tourism too. So it sounds like restaurant taxes is being discussed, and you know who knows, we'll see what happens there. Restaurant tax is sort of a um, a a more narrow sales tax, and one of the things people are used to us talking about is a local option sales tax, a broader tax where um, if we had the ability, we could citizens could vote to put, I guess, another one percent tax on the sale of all sorts of items, and I guess I want some, in order to pay for a special project that goes on a ballot. So it's not just a blanket 1% tax that goes necessarily directly to revenues, but if you say we want to build a new such and such, or we want to do this and that, then the money goes to a dedicated uh, fund, it pays for the such and such, or the this and that, and then the tax goes away. Um, and I don't know whether that applies to food and drink or what we, what what it can do and what it can't do. Can you give people just a little recap of the local option sales tax? Talk about whether that's really being debated in Frankfurt this year at the same level as the restaurant tax or not really, and maybe some advantages or disadvantages. So so the the uh, local option sales tax, which was branded as Lyft, um, is uh, is really not uh, very much on the table at this point. I think what that the most ambitious thing that people are trying to do in Frankfurt, or thinking about doing in Frankfurt, is a constitutional amendment uh, that would really allow the, the General Assembly to give um, cities and counties lots of options, just un untie the General Assembly's hands. Uh, local option sales tax always would have required a constitutional amendment. Um, One of the reasons that the local option sales tax uh, doesn't really work very well at this point in, is that, um, you know, we need money. It's not just us, and other cities are, and counties are in more shape than us, frankly, uh, need money to operate. Right. And so the idea of, yes, I would love to have uh, a pot of money that we could use for a transformational infrastructure improvement, capital, capital investment, but... Right now, we just need money to put police officers on the street, right, uh, and to to have adequate fire services gotcha. and, and ambulances. Uh, so I think that that uh, the, the effort in Frankfurt uh, now, in terms of the broader effort, is this really potential constitutional amendment, which has to start with the General Assembly, that would just say that the general the General Assembly would be able to authorize cities and counties to have the kind of revenue sources uh, that they think are appropriate without these constitutional restraints. That, that's, and I'm all for that kind of discussion. I hope that moves forward. What I have said to everyone, including legislative leaders, is um, I, I understand that we need um, tax reform in Frankfurt. I also understand that we've been talking about this since the time that I moved into the state, mm -hmm. and, and that's a long time ago. We need something immediately, right? And, right. Uh, and the restaurant and it, tax it can, can be, be a bridge to point. something else, and it can be changed if we have something else. Um, but we need something immediately, and what we have in in many other cities and counties in the state already is a restaurant tax, right? Um, Give us the option, at least, of thinking about doing that. Is there another uh, option being discussed in Frankfurt at the same level as the restaurant tax in terms of providing some new immediate operating revenue, or really the restaurant tax is sort of the all lights are shining on it for the next couple of months? 
for something that would would happen immediately, I think it's the the thing that people are focusing on. And so at the end of the day, we don't know what happens. It could come down from a revenue perspective in terms of taxation, maybe a restaurant tax if Frankfurt says so and people here want it, or again, revisiting the local option, I'm sorry, the, the raising sure. the insurance premium tax. And as a reminder, you said 30 to 40 million for a restaurant. The insurance premium tax would generate... I, Roughly. It, it, and I don't know. It, it, but, it, but, it, but not as much. Not as Half much. Half that yeah. at the right. most, right? Right, and it depends on what rate you went to. I mean, right. the original proposals were were cut, and you know, we went to a smaller to a smaller rate. It depends on what you tax. We the proposal that got voted down uh, did not increase the rate on automobiles. Right. Uh, so it was really on other lines of insurance. So it's it depends on what you what you would do. But uh, right. all of these things would help us. Um, manage our way through the next few do, years. Do you know off the top of your head what raising it from f- our proposal last year, raising it from five to ten, but exempting um, some auto insurance and other health costs? Do you remember what the? I don't remember okay. the dollar amount. I know. I know I you're not dodging it. You're not that kind of guy. Um, so we'll see what happens on the revenue side. Um, in terms of cuts, um, because we have to start thinking about that. Um, again, there are. There are some people, including me in my district, who have lost some services. We had some reduction of the service at a firehouse. There was, until recently, some uh, reduction of uh, basic sanitation service during the holidays. Uh, you know, that's services that we pay for in our urban service district, where my residents, your residents, pay more property tax than other people. Um, you know, threat to um, parks facilities and library facilities. And we've already lost a lot. Is do people have a realistic expectation about getting any of that stuff back in a new budget, or do you think that uh, even things like a closed firehouse is, or, or a reduction in firehouse, or a reduction in the police force, are we're we're setting new we're setting new bars, and they're only going to go lower, and the cuts that we have to look at will be additional cuts. Well, without new revenue, I think it's very difficult to restore uh, those cuts. Now we can. Move things you around. Know, we can move things around. We, if 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 the council's decision is that the, you know, the fire loss is something that needs to be fixed, that can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but without new revenue, restoring all of those things, I think is is very difficult. Right. I think you've really hit on an important um, uh, question, though. The restoration of services mm-hmm. is important. We should not just be focusing on. What are we going to cut? What's going to What's going to be next? Mm-hmm. I mean, do we really think that uh, having a hundred fewer police officers on the street um, at the end of this year than we had at the beginning of this year is good? Of course not. And so, uh, are we going to say, okay, see, we got through this without any problems, and so you know, it it really wasn't a problem. And understand that there are 100 fewer police officers. Are we, or are we going to say, no, we need to restore those? Mm-hmm. And restoring these kind of services is extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's important that we do that. And I'm not just f- focusing on police. I, I would focus on fire and focus on other things. Um, and I'll interject just to say that you know we had a, a, a mid-year adjustment where there's about a $4 million um, Surplus from what we expected from last year's budget, and there was some debate about what to do with it. And um, 
you correct me if I'm wrong, we put some of that money towards the rainy day fund. We put some of that money towards speeding up a police recruit class. Right. And also we put, we stored uh, $2.7 million of the $4 million into a, a pension of, mitigation right, fund, right. which we would use. The theory is that the idea, this could be changed by the council, but the idea is we would use that $900,000 a year to offset our pension costs. Part, part of my point was the reason we spent the money that way instead of restoring some lost services is because, you know, you can't just make a one-time decision to spend some money to restore something for six months and then it disappears again six months later. In right. order to restore some things that have been lost, we need to know that that revenue is going to be there into the indefinite future. And that's especially true when you're hiring employees. I mean, right. You can't hire uh, more firefighters uh, for six with one-time money. Yeah. Um, and and not know whether you're going to be able to pay them after six months. So the council will have, um, again, a lot of really important decisions to make in terms of what things to in, in, uh, prioritize our investment in. We'll have to see how much money we have to work with. We'll have to see um, exactly what our, our budget gap is. Can you talk a little bit about the process for how we do that, just so people understand, you know, even for how you reach out to the other council people and ask us to tell you as the budget chair our thoughts and priorities so that you can start to get all 26 of us organized. And then a little bit about how you give the public an opportunity. I mean, the public makes its, they make their concerns clear. Whether or not we create a process, if people want to save the libraries or save the this or save the that, they let us know. But just t tell us a little bit about sort of what you have in mind and how people can expect. Well, we've, I think a little bit more in advance than we've done in the past. We've had some meetings already where we brought in people from the Kentucky League of Cities and, and really began to talk about what our pension obligations are going to be next year, what the opportunities are um, to, uh, to raise more revenue, what's going on in Frankfurt. Uh, we had that kind of meeting actually at the end of October. Um, the mayor will come and deliver his budget address uh, in April, mm -hmm. um, and we will then uh, have budget hearings. Um, we have a series of budget hearings on every agency um, where whatever has been proposed by the mayor is, uh, is discussed. Um, we have an opportunity to ask questions. We had, I think last year, we had three public hearings uh, where we let people come in and, and speak about, um, about the budget, uh, what they would like to see increased or decreased uh, or changed. Um, and then there are lots of discussions among council members um, individually um, about what they think is important and, and uh, you know, what, what we should be um, uh, looking at adding or what we can cut. And I'll just, uh, just to interject, when you talk about the budget hearings for each of these departments and, and agencies, it's like 30. It is. It's, it's a it lot is. of meetings. So it this is, is not goes, just two or three meetings. This is the council takes a very in-depth look with a lot of research and preparation from our staff and from our, we do a lot of homework that's right. in order to, to really understand how every dollar is being spent all across the government. So this is a, I just want to make clear, this is a, a deep, intense process that is, of course, open to the public. You can come to right. those meetings, you can watch right. them on, the t on TV and well, so on. One of the things I'm, um, I'm proud of is we... Since I've been on the council, we changed, and I sponsored a change in our budget schedule. So from the time that the um, council started until, I guess, 2016, um, the mayor came and presented his budget in late May, and the budget has to be approved before July 1st. So the council really had 
uh, a month, but Memorial Day was sort of in there. It really became like a three-week kind of drill right. to review a budget, make changes, and and approve it. Um, and, you know, I started looking around what other cities did um, and found that that was really kind of unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we proposed by ordinance that, uh, that the mayor would come a month earlier, which gives us an, an additional month. Um, I think that's worked well. I can't imagine uh, going through what we went through with $25 million in cuts last year and doing that in a three-week period. So, right. I, so I think that's, that's useful. You know, the, the, the budget hearings, I think, are, um, you know, we learn a lot, and we have an opportunity to ask questions. I'll take YDS. Uh, as an example, that's youth detention services. Youth, youth detention, uh, which which we closed and and transferred to the state. And again, we can debate the the merits of that. Uh, I am hopeful that we will not be um, sending uh, a lot of youth out of county. And we're working with the state. The administration has worked well with the state to try to you know build a regional center in in Jefferson County. And how that's all going to work out. I don't know, uh, and it remains to be seen, and we'll continue to monitor that. But, you know, one of the reasons that we went in that direction, we, we asked questions at budget hearings as to how many youth are involved anymore. Uh, what we've seen is a declining population, which is good, mm-hmm. uh, at YDS. And, and, and how is that keeping up with our costs? And, that, and what we found out was that it really wasn't very elastic. Our costs were sort of fixed no matter how many uh, kids were in, involved. Right. And it, so it became an extremely expensive uh, operation. You know, in an ideal world, would we have continued it? I would say probably yes, but, you know, it's not an ideal world. And right. as we were looking at things, um, it, it seemed to be a place where uh, we could make a change. And frankly, do what every other county in the state does, which is make right. this a state operation. But I guess my point is, in relation to the hearings, a lot of that really developed in, in, by asking questions at those hearings, by mm-hmm. looking into what is the population, what's happened to the census there, what, how much are we spending, how, are there opportunities to save money there and continue to operate YDS the way we're doing it. Um, and so I think, you, you know, you have, you, you learn a lot at those kind of hearings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we move on to talk just a little bit about your district, uh, because it, you know we've talked a lot about the budget, and I think this has been a really good education for, for listeners, and I, I hope we have a lot of people to listen. Is there any chance, I forgot to ask this, that the assumptions that the, that the board changed a few years ago can just change back? You know, I don't, I, I don't understand procedurally exactly how that worked. We have a new governor. Is it possible that Governor Bashir can snap his fingers and just change the numbers or do a study and change the numbers? Because there's been... You know, some, some, I don't know the, the statistics, you probably do, that our assumptions are out of line in some way with other states or more extreme or, you know, I, is, is there a possibly that kind of a solution? If the answer is no, that's fine. But um, Well, so what the assumptions we're talking about are, are how much uh, money you're going to earn on your investments, uh, how many new employees are coming in uh, to the system, um, and what the rate of inflation is. Right. And, and Governor Bashir. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Governor Bevan uh, appointed a new Kentucky Retirement Systems Board, um, which um, made pretty dramatic changes in those assumptions. Mm -hmm. Um, We went from being uh, 
I think most people would say we went from being uh, overly generous, if you will, optimistic about what our rate of uh, return on investments would be. Uh-huh. But we are now among perhaps the most conservative in the country. So we mm-hmm. made a dramatic change, and we did it uh, without phasing it in. Um, we just said this is the, the change, and it's happening immediately. Now, the General Assembly fixed some of that by going to this. It can't go up by more than 12% a year. But um, th- this was opposed vehemently by the county and city representatives on, this, uh, on the board at the time. It was not a unanimous vote. I think if there were to be, uh, you know, the governor, the new governor, Governor Bashir, will have appointments to that board. Uh, whether those appointees make uh, changes to that um, or not, I don't know. And I do think and that— And obviously they don't just, you know, sit around and conjure these numbers out of the air. They hire an actuarial firm or some experts, right. and they, you know, so, it, so it, it obviously has to be based in some substance. This is not arbitrary, but right. I'm sorry to interrupt. Right. And, and I think, it, it you know— it, if the if the assumptions are changed um, uh, to become you know more in line with the, the norm, um, that could have an effect on our pension costs. I, I do think our pension costs will continue to rise mm-hmm. um, because I don't think anybody wants to say that we should go to assumptions that are not responsible. Of course not. Uh, we don't want to be in that kind of situation. And in, the fact is, we do have a pension system that's. Uh, you know, that, that needs revenue. That needs revenue. Yeah. I w- one other thing, and this is probably a little bit down in the weeds, but the county employee retirement system uh, was dramatically changed in 2013, 2014. Mm-hmm. So new employees are on an entirely different system, and CERS, that's our system, um, is, is on a path to become um, more sustainable. The, the new employees do not get the same kind of pension benefits right. that older employees do, people who started after 2014. So um, in terms of fixing the pensions, the, the pension CERS, a lot of that has already been done. Yeah. Um, so, so we'll see. But big, I, hole, big I, hole to dig out of, though. It is a big hole to dig out of, and I think I don't uh, see the assumptions changing dramatically in a way that's going to... Um, keep us from having continued budget pains for the next few years. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about District 9 for the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes of the show. Um, District 9, for people uh, who live in the Highlands and might think of the Highlands area sort of being aligned along the Bardstown Road corridor broadly, District 9 is sort of aligned along the Frankfurt Avenue and Shelbyville Road corridor. It runs from the river all the way to, I guess, Hubbard's Lane and Shelbyville right. Road. Right. And it's almost sort of, it's really almost sort of the the twin of District 8 in terms of if you took District 8 and flipped it on the other side of Interstate 64, what's south of 64 is District 8, uh, and what's north of 64 is District 9. Uh, you and I both share the LMPD's 5th Division, so the 5th Division patrols both of, our dist- both of our districts. When we get together with our police to talk about safety concerns and what's going on, we get together. We have similar kind of public safety concerns. Uh, again, we're both anchored by these really incredible commercial corridors, by very vibrant neighborhoods with great architecture and active neighbors. You know, we're sort of a politically similar kind of a district. Uh, and I, you know, certainly admire, and I think people that live in District A do admire all the neighborhoods and the people and the businesses that make up your community. But, you know, um, in what ways 
have you observed that, you know, District 9 or the Frankfurt Avenue corridor and District 8 and the Bardstown Road corridor are similar or different? Are there things that, you know, what, what, ch- what, what challenges do we not, what is different about us? Well, I, I, I'll talk about what's similar first. I mean, I think they're both um, uh, neighborhoods where people like to walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very walkable neighborhoods. That's become increasingly attractive, not just in Louisville, but a- across the country. Uh, so they're neighborhoods that I think are, are um, in some ways booming. Uh, uh, you know, uh, portions of District 9 have seen investment um, that we have not seen in a while. Uh, Cl- the Clifton neighborhood, for example, is uh, the housing market there is really, really booming. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's always been a great neighborhood, but it's now a very attractive place. Um, and really, a lot of the district is in the same way. The, the commercial corridors uh, on your right, uh, uh, District 9 includes Frankfurt Avenue uh, and Shelbyville Road to Hubbard's Lane, and then on either side of that. Um, you know, Frankfurt Avenue is uh, has many of the same uh, uh, issues and, and, uh, and um, amenities as uh, Bardstown Road. It's a little less crowded. It always right. has been. And, um, you know, we don't have, uh, for better or worse, listeners can des- decide, we don't have quite the bar scene that, uh, that uh, Bardstown Road has. We certainly have, have our share of bars. Right. Uh, but we don't have a concentration of them. I don't think we have quite that sort of nightlife. We have, we have a good restaurant scene. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the street is very different. I live very near Ewing, uh, so I live about a block away from Clifton in, in Crescent Hill. Um, when you're going east on, on Frankfurt Avenue, when you get to Ewing, the street becomes very different because of the railroad track. And, right. And the fact that in Crescent Hill um, and out into St. Matthews, you don't have development on the north side of the street mm-hmm. because of the track. Right. Which just limits the commercial activity and mm-hmm. really changes the feel of the street if, when you cross from Ewing at Ewing on Frankfurt Avenue. So that's one difference, I think. Right. Um, there's less traffic. There's less yeah, auto there's, traffic. There's, there's less traffic. Less. There's a, you know you don't have the parking is less of a concern because right. you've you've got one side with no commercial activity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's it's uh, you know I, I politically I think it I think I think it's um, similar. What you mentioned some of the issues. I mean, I think that Frankfurt Avenue has every bit as many quality businesses and amenities as Bardstown Road does, with, without most of the problems. Now, I don't live there. Uh, for me, I want to find ways, and we're looking at ways to make Bardstown Road slower and safer and, and uh, friendlier and better place for pedestrians. It's more enjoyable to sit on the sidewalk on Frankfurt Avenue than it is on Bardstown Road. W- when you say that there's issues there, what what are some of the problems that I might not be seeing or that or that people might not know about well i don't know uh, the the problem i hear about mostly uh, and it's a little bit further out frankfurt avenue really it's when you get to stills and move out um uh, to the east the problem i hear about mostly is speeding right uh and and the, the extreme difficulty in um pedestrians safely crossing the street right and so listeners will will note that 
we have the same problems everywhere in terms yep. of traffic safety, in terms of street lights, in terms of all the all the issues that we have. Uh, you see the same things across similar urban neighborhoods. It's very very difficult to um, to to safely cross, um, and not just Frankfurt Avenue, but a lot of streets. But Frankfurt Avenue is the one I hear about most. Uh, to safely cross Frankfurt Avenue at, at crosswalks. It's, it's always been a mystery to me um, that people in this community just don't seem to stop uh, if they're driving for pedestrians in crosswalks. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I don't understand that. And, and it's, so when folks tell me, um, you know, why don't people stop at crosswalks? I, I always ask now, uh, did you grow up here? And usually they say, no, I just, you know, I moved here five years ago or 10 years ago. And where I used to live, people stopped at crosswalks. I, it's a, uh, it's a real concern. Yeah. Um, it's, it, yeah. I mean, when I think about some of the differences, I also think, you know, Frankfurt Avenue, it's less auto oriented. So there's less, there's not, I don't see drive through restaurants and fast food and gas stations and that sort of a thing. And so really, um, in or, and I don't, I don't believe you can change driver's behavior, so I'm trying to actually see what kind of cha- design changes you can make to the street, which might then influence the business mix and might help us get a, a, a healthier area. But, um, you know, what are some of the other um, things going on in District 9 or some of the other amenities that people might not know about or some of the other challenges, some things that you're working with? People, you know, I, I talk to people in my newsletter and on this podcast and in public about what are our issues, what are we working on? It differs from neighborhood to neighborhood. You and I are both wrapping up a big neighborhood planning effort that entails the neighborhoods around Bowman Field. We have that in common. What else are, you know, maybe just some of the top two or three or four issues in District 9 for 2020? There's a current plan. Uh, it's really sort of just kicking off the public engagement part of it for a neighborhood plan for uh, Butchertown, Nulu, and Phoenix Hill. Right. I represent a piece of Butchertown, not all of it. Um, so that's a uh, that's very much of an effort. Uh, we've spent a lot of time looking at sidewalks and and uh, trying to build sidewalk sections. Some of them small, some of them bigger. Um, which, is, which is very expensive. It's extremely expensive, and we're using really the bulk of the money that it's available to District 9 we have used to, to build and improve sidewalks. We have a very interesting situation in the district, and that's a, a very large blind and visually impaired community. Right, the Kentucky School for the Blind. And the American Printing House for the Blind, and, and the combination and people coming to the community and staying in the community um, really gives us one of the, the largest concentration of blind and visually impaired people uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the sidewalk issues, as you can imagine, are, are something that I think about a lot. Uh, you know, we just built a sidewalk um, and on I, Ewing, and I walked, with, I walked with several blind people uh, a year or so ago, maybe a little bit more than that, who showed me how they got to from their condo to Frankfurt Avenue, and it included uh, turning on from a, a street, uh, which was very low volume street, onto a street with pretty high volume, uh, onto oncoming traffic where there was no sidewalk mm-hmm. on either side of the street. I mean, those are the kind of things that you wake up in the middle of the night worrying about. And so, so fixing those kinds of issues, uh, we had, we have a Kroger on, on Brownsboro Road, um, people who wanted to walk up Jane Street, uh, f- 
from that Kroger uh, into Clifton, um, you know, carried their uh, their groceries in the middle of the street because there was no sidewalk. Right. So, and, and, and as just, you just, know, those are extremely expensive. And, and we're and talking just, about we're talking about sixty, seventy thousand dollars for a block. Right. Uh, so to bring that back to people understand this, and correct me if I'm wrong. The city of Louisville allocated zero dollars out of a whatever our budget was seven hundred million dollars for new sidewalk construction right. in the budget year we're in now. We have right. mon- we, there's money in the budget for sidewalk repairs, and people will see all the time that we're taking broken pieces of sidewalk and replacing them. But in terms of new sidewalk where no connectivity exists, zero dollars for it last year. And you alluded to some of the capital challenges we have, and that's an illustration. No, of that's it. right. Perhaps You're, the best illustration. That's absolutely right. And we, and we are, you know, the, the sidewalk improvement, we're actually spending more than we did five years ago on sidewalk improvement. But we, we need to continue to do that. That's yeah. absolutely right. And, and new sidewalk construction. We, so we, I, I think about sidewalks in places like that. Then I have uh, other areas like Cannes Lane. We're working on a sidewalk, uh, potentially, and this would be some uh, state and federal money. Right. Uh, a sidewalk, if you think about from the interstate to uh, Seneca Park, uh, there's no sidewalk. I mean, h- how smart is it that we have a, a, a really well-used, heavily used walking path at Seneca Park, but you have to drive to get there? Right. In, right in the middle of residential neighborhoods. Yeah. We, have a, we have a big sidewalk need on, uh, on Frankfurt Avenue between Story and River Road, again, where people uh, walk in the street. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so, you know, we're spending a lot of time on those kind of issues. Yeah. Well, you know, we've we're sort of used our hour, and there's obviously a lot of wonderful things going on in District 9, especially around the river and the Botanical Garden, and really from one end of your corridor from north to south. And, um, you know, I'm interested... Uh, in the time, well, you and I work very closely together. You're probably the the council person I work the closest with, especially on legislation, because we tend to be interested in similar things. We have similar uh, districts, and uh, we don't work as closely on capital projects. I'll, and there's always a little bit of a frustration for me in terms of, you know, Bardstown Road and Frankfurt Avenue. They're not directly parallel. You don't just sort of go from one block to the next. And um, you know, there's obviously whether it's Grinstead or some other way that we can improve connectivity and better increase the non-automobile flow from people that live in my area to go eat and drink in yours and shop in mine and vice versa. Uh, We should do that. And also, I just think we have such wonderful neighborhoods and strong neighborhood associations and leaders. I'd love to see them working together closely in 2020. And so I hope that in the the year that I have left on the council, not just you and I, but we can figure out a way to have District 8 and District 9 residents and businesses work together better to sort of I'd, accomplish our mutual goals. I'd love to do that. Yeah. I'd love to do that. Uh, Bill, thanks for being on the show. Um, for people that listened, they really learned a lot about the budget. If they have questions, uh, they obviously can call my office, and there, sh- there will certainly be no shortage of information about how they can participate coming from you and uh, your team. Thank you. Ha- Happy thanks New Year. For, thanks very much. See Happy New Year to you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to 8 More Miles, the Louisville Metro Council District 8 podcast. I'm Councilman Brandon Cohn. Please stay in touch with our office. Visit our website at www.tinyurl.com slash cmcohnd8. And once you're there, please subscribe and stay informed to receive our biweekly e-newsletter.